So this morning, I'd like to get crack on straight into it. So I'm going to be reading from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41, if you'd like to turn there with me. So starting with verse 35. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly, the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word that speaks to us and has spoken to us over the years. Father, we pray that you would speak to us in your word this morning, that we would hear your voice clear in our hearts. Father, may we be open to receiving from you however you speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So this here, this is a story about faith, about some who have it, and then lose it, or doubt it, or forget about it, and about the one who owns it and lives in it. The story begins with an act of faith. I've heard it said that nothing safe is worth the drive. And so when Jesus says to his disciples, come on, let's get in the boat and head to the other side, and his disciples agree to this, from that very first step, a small step of faith is taken. And for the disciples, some of whom were fishermen, they wouldn't have given this a second thought. It would have been like the equivalent of us today going, hopping in the car to go somewhere. Often, I don't give it a second thought. I jump in the car and off I go. And I know, I know that driving can be incredibly dangerous. And there are times that many others on the road, or sometimes even myself, remind me of the dangers of driving. But I still get out there. I still get out there and drive most days. So getting into the boat this day was like just another day for Jesus and his disciples. The text also acknowledges that there were others who got into boats as well and went with Jesus and the disciples across the Sea of Galilee. And it also acknowledges that there were some who didn't, some who remained there on the shore. So there's a separation that's made right from the very start, a separation between those who act in obedience to Jesus, who go with them, getting on the boats as he requested, and then those who remain in the security of the shore, who remain standing there. And if it is that nothing safe is worth the drive, then it would have what would have looked like just a simple act of obedience that day it was actually an act of faith for those who went with Jesus. And just like those days on the road that remind you of the dangers of driving, 
The experienced seafaring disciples are soon reminded of the dangers of boating. This wicked storm blows in and it begins to terrorize their travel. Huge waves rise up around them and they begin breaking over the boat, beginning to fill the boat with water. And as far as nightmare situations go, this would definitely be one of them for me. And while the experienced seafaring disciples begin to panic, the exhausted preacher lies, sleeping soundly in the stern of the boat with his head propped up on a little cushion. Following the opening act of faith is a wild surge of fear for the disciples. Although they are experienced seafarers, and experienced seafarer knows that storms are no good for boating, and they make for a very unideal and unfun time. The disciples, and I imagine the others who were on the other boats, see these giant waves around them and watch them as they crash down into the boats and they feel the waters rising up around their ankles. But the disciples in their boat, they also see Jesus lying down. They watch him sleeping soundly, and I think they feel their anger beginning to bubble up a little bit and bubble over. In this scene of mounting chaos, Jesus is calm. Jesus is silent. Jesus is still. And it's not hard for me to imagine that after a full day of preaching to the masses, that Jesus probably deserves a rest. He probably was fairly exhausted. And now that he's left the crowd behind, now that it's just him and his team, some of which were very experienced seafarers, it's his time to sit back, to relax, to catch up on his sleep. Just like an apprentice tradie might do on the way to the job, eh, Andre? But Jesus, he sleeps soundly because he trusts his team in this moment. And the reason that he can trust his team in this moment and in every single moment is because he knows that God is on his team. We don't know if Jesus went to sleep knowing that the storm was going to roll in or if, like it did the disciples, it gave him a huge surprise when he woke up. But what we do know is that he sleeps peacefully because he knows that his team has got this. Yet amidst their panic, all the disciples can see is a lazy and unaware and uncaring friend who kind of is responsible for them being in this situation and should probably do something about it. The disciples wake Jesus saying, Teacher, don't you care we're going to drown? In their desperate terror, they don't bother trying to mask kind of those pointed jabs at Jesus' lack of concern. And I wonder, do you reckon that when the disciples kind of looked back on this time in their lives, their time with Jesus, I don't know, maybe they got to read these gospel accounts, that they would see the irony of what the situation sets them up for? Because it isn't too much later that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is repeatedly waking his disciples as they've fallen asleep when Jesus has asked them to pray for him. It was at Jesus' hour of need that they were sleeping, and I think maybe that was a slightly more critical hour than this one. 
And in the garden, Jesus isn't asking his disciples to put their lives at risk or to save him. He's just asking them to keep watch, to pray with him, to be with him. Yet the disciples were too tired to even manage that. And I wonder if they ever looked back on these two occurrences together and maybe were a little bit embarrassed by their desperate terror, their terrified desperation in comparison to Jesus's calm and gentle yet persistent requests. Where is your faith now, disciples? When Jesus woke up, it says that he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Jesus, he told the wind and the waves off as though they were like misbehaving children just being disruptive at school. I mean, what do you think he would have said to the wind? Oi, you, wind, cut it out. This is completely unnecessary behavior. And how about you, waves? Calm down, please, and be still. There's no need for you to be crashing about like this. It kind of all, it comes out in a bit of a Kath and Kim voice when I read that part. So, you know, just quite an iconic telling off. But I think it could have been quite fun to hear what Jesus was saying to the wind and the waves that day. And I reckon that the disciples, they were probably quite amused at hearing him tell off the wind and the waves as though it was going to make a difference. But the weather did listen and it obeyed. The wind ceased immediately and there was a great calm. Just like that, chaos was transformed into order. The wild wind that had been whipping up the waters stilled in an instant. And the great waves that had been rising up and breaking into the boat were flattened with three words. Now that's some faith from Jesus. And now I picture Jesus rubbing his eyes, sitting back down, ready to resume his nap, but then turning to his disciples and saying, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? With these questions, Jesus is asking the disciples, do you still not know who I am? And the answer to these questions is apparent with the next verse. The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. Jesus has just spent a whole day out on the lake teaching. His disciples were there, crowds of people were there, and teaching them about the kingdom of God. They have seen him perform miraculous healings and deliverances and all sorts, and they even knew that they could turn to him in their hour of need. They knew their own dependence on Jesus, that he is their refuge and their strength and ever-present help in times of trouble, so consequently, they should not fear. Even when the oceans roam, foam and roar, they should not fear. Yet they do fear, because they weren't really sure who Jesus was. Where is your faith now, disciples? The text describes the disciples as terrified by Jesus' miraculous act. Something amazing has unfolded before their eyes, but the disciples remain haunted by doubt and fear, which really isn't helping with their lack of faith. 
Yet despite their fear and despite their faithlessness, Jesus has still delivered them. Jesus has spared and preserved their lives by hushing the wicked storm that was overwhelming them. And he did this. He did this for a group of people who had very, very little faith, even when they had had the great opportunity to see Jesus at work and to be firsthand there at his teachings. Just imagine, just imagine what could have happened if they had shown even an inkling of faith. The story, it hasn't been recorded for us as like a quick fix or a quick escape from sticky situations. The story isn't to teach us to get really desperate and panicky and then maybe then Jesus will come and help you. The story is about faith about some who have it, then lose it or doubt it or give it away, and about the one who owns it and lives in it. And the question that this story is asking is whether the fear of the disciples, their intense fear, can be transformed into absolute trust in their new and great deliverer, who is Jesus. Unfortunately, great faith is not something that really comes ingrained in us. Our faith can ebb and flow, and it often fizzles at times of high stress or where there's a danger or a perceived danger. Faith, it's what we need when it comes to crunch time. Yet often when we come to crunch time, our faith is the first thing to leave us or more likely the first thing that we give away. Because at crunch time, where there is high stress and danger threatens, our human instinct is to drop all that we can in order to pick up and hold very tightly to the things that we can control. Where faith says, let go, trust me. Crunch time says, all hands on deck, and you better make sure those hands are holding on tight because it's all up to you from here on out. Great faith is something that develops over time. It's a case of the more you use it, the more naturally it comes to you and the greater it grows. But it does take time and it does take testing. It takes going through a number of crunch times with intentional dedication to prioritizing holding on to faith, to not Let it go. Resist the urge to throw it away and attempt to control the situation yourself. And we've just been through a little bit of a crunch time. In fact, the whole world has faced a bit of a crunch time right now. So I wonder how your faith is feared at this time. Did you find this time of heightened stress and potential danger beneficial to your faith? Did it help you to grow and develop, did you find yourself intentionally choosing to live by faith, to keep your eyes focused on Jesus rather than the waves, and to keep your ears attuned to his words rather than the wind? Did you sleep peacefully through the storm, knowing that God is on your team and that you could trust him completely? Or was this time maybe a little detrimental to your faith? Did you quickly give over into panic and fear, choosing to let go of faith and instead hold on to what you could control? 
Were the waves all you could see as they crashed up and over into the boat? And the wind all you could hear as it surged around you? Did you run wild throughout the storm, screaming and panicking, unsure of what to do or if you'd even live? Or was your response neither? Did you even recognize the heightened stress or did you perceive any danger? Did you neither really grow or develop? Because this whole situation was maybe more of a weird kind of holiday for you. Was your faith not really tested anything out of the ordinary? Because the situation quite quickly just became ordinary for you. Were you neither panicked by the wind or terrified by the waves because you were unaware? Because maybe you were standing back there on the shore. Today, this Sunday, it's the first Sunday in 12 weeks that we have gathered together. That's a whole quarter of our year, and it still feels like we should technically be in March. But now we are back together, and we are here with one another, and that is very exciting. And a lot of people have been asking, oh, when are we going to get back to normal? And anticipating it will be good once we can get back to normal. But I have to admit, I haven't really been one of those people. I've been excited about gathering again, but I haven't been that excited about getting back to normal. And that's not just because I've enjoyed a more leisurely start to my Sunday mornings over the last three months, but it's because I don't think I'm a fan of what maybe people think normal is. If returning to normal means returning to a Sunday-focused or Sunday-centric faith, then that's not the normal that I want to have. If returning to normal means we go back to not really regularly connecting with our fellow congregants, then that's not really the normal that I want to have. If returning to normal means taking the church out of our homes and our neighborhoods and returning it to just this building rather than recognizing it as something that's in our hearts, then that's not really the normal I want to have. If returning to normal means more standing, waiting on the shore, then that's not the normal that I want to have. And if returning to normal means returning to comfort, then that's definitely not the normal I think we should be after. Great faith is not something that can be found or developed by returning to normal and sticking just where it's comfortable. Great faith is found and developed as you take a step of faith, as you step out into the waves, get into that boat with Jesus, and just go head on into whatever's coming. Because even though the disciples let go of their faith when it came to crunch time, they still took that first step. They still got off the shore. They got into the boat with Jesus, knowing it was best for them to follow him. They took a step away from comfort and a step in towards a new normal. But as great faith is something to be built over time, the disciples' loss of faith when it came to crunch time just highlights the work that was still to be done. The parables that Jesus had just spent the day teaching them, they weren't quite enough to clarify it in everything that he was doing. And the miracles that they had witnessed, including now this great rescue at sea, 
they still didn't paint a perfectly clear picture for the disciples. As one commenter on the Gospel of Mark puts it, maybe the light was too bright for their eyes to take it all in. There was still a fog. They were still working to put two and two together. I mean, they were human after all. Yet despite their humanness, despite their faithlessness, Jesus acts in a mighty and powerful way, proving to the unknowing disciples who he is and letting them know that even when they are unsure and insecure, they can and they should still count on him. The story isn't about a quick fix to escaping a sticky situation, remember. This is a story about faith. Jesus, he didn't calm the storm simply to save them in that moment, though that's what it did do. But rather he took advantage of the moment to show the disciples who he really is and to announce to them that God reigns. God can and will bring order out of chaos. The story is about learning to trust the one who doesn't just deliver us from storms, but delivers us through them. So as we settle back into what I will call normal routines, can I challenge you to not seek to just return to normal? Because returning to what we might know as normal a Sunday-focused and Sunday-centric faith with lagging connections between your fellow congregants, where church is all about this building specifically and what is comfortable. Returning to that means that we will not ever leave the shore. Let's strive to connect with God each day, choosing each day to give that day to him. Let's commit to nurturing relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ, taking steps and making efforts to meet just outside of Sundays. Let's seek to find our God at work outside this building, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, our communities, so that we can get on board with what he's already doing out there. Let's run from comfort. Let's push ourselves to step off the shore and into the waves because we know, we know, we know, we know that even when we have no faith, even when we've got nothing at all, Jesus is still with us. Jesus will deliver us through the storms. He will show up for us and he will go with us wherever we go. And just imagine if we have even a mustard seed of faith, just an inkling of faith, if he can calm a storm with his words, imagine what he can do when we show faith. Let's get off the shore. Let's step into the boat and let's get excited about the storms that will inevitably come because that is where our faith can and will grow great. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are always with us. You always show up for us. You always come through for us. Jesus, thank you that you always have our best interests at heart, that even when we have no idea what's happening, when we show no faith, Jesus, you are still with us and you are still for us. 
Help us, Jesus, to rejoice when crunch time has come so that it gives us a new opportunity to hold tight to our faith, to grow and to develop, to become closer with you and to get to know you better. Lord Jesus, continue to reveal to us more of who you are, more of your qualities and your characteristics so that we might stand and we might say with great faith that we know we trust in a great deliverer, someone who cares, someone who is concerned, and someone who loves so ferociously. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are always with us, you are always for us. Thank you for your mighty power and that you share it with us. In Jesus' name.